Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. Hello, friends. Welcome to the first podcast of 2022. It's so nice to be back. It was a nice break, and here we are in a fresh brand new year. And I have a fresh guest for you. She is one of my dear friends. I will fully disclose and my hairdresser from many, many years now. And she is an, an incredibly talented um, hairdresser and educator and makeup artist and human and stylist and the list goes on. So I know that you will enjoy hearing from Taryn Tucker. She has adventures that cross crisscross the nation, um, including New York fashion week and doing hair for Bella Hadid. Um, and her story is ultra fascinating. I learned so much and she is such a great addition to the Orlando hair scene. I'm so proud of her and so amazed at, um, all that she does here. And so thankful that she does my hair. <laughs> I will admit she's amazing. Um, so I did a cocktail that I had shown her and that she was like, oh, that looks incredible. So I was like, I'll make it for you. And it was a perfect, perfect thing for some day drinking since I know that she does like uh, whiskey bourbon. And this is an interesting way to make a drink. With whiskey. It is a play on a whiskey sour, which is my number one favorite drink. So it's not a far departure on that. But it is very curious because it is one part bourbon um, and then equal part port wine, which I always say that I don't like wine. And I mostly don't like wine, but I always tell people, I was like, oh, usually I like a port. And then, of course, we know I'm a I'm incredibly obsessed with sweet vermouth, so which is wine, but not in the sense that normal people would drink it. This is a very, very delicious and very well balanced. It's called the Elk's Own, um, and you're going to take an ounce of... I mean, you're supposed to use rye whiskey, so do as you please. I use bourbon because I prefer that. So an ounce of your choice of whiskey and then an ounce of uh, port wine, um, a half an ounce of lemon juice, and then you're going to do a quarter of an ounce of simple syrup and then an egg white. Throw that all into your shaker. Dry shake first for about, I don't know, 15 so seconds. And then you're going to go ahead and add your ice and then shake again for like 15 to 30 seconds, like real, just real fast and strong. I believe in you. From there, you're going to pour it into a chilled coop and then top it with, if you have on hand, of course, fresh grated uh, nutmeg. If not, you can just sprinkle a little ground nutmeg in there and it does the trick and it's so good and delicious. It is a party trick um, that you will want to pull out for your next party and or guest and or just uh, a night at home. They kind of always dub it as like a winter's cocktail and we just had a little splash of winter here. So it was the perfect thing to have. But really, I feel like it's perfect on any day. Very, very delicious. 
Anyway, enjoy the drink and enjoy Taryn's life adventures. Cheers. Hey, Taryn. Hi. Hi. Welcome to to the podcast. Cocktails and conversation. Here we go. How are you? Two of my favorite things. Two of my favorite things. One of my favorite girls. This is my first podcast of 2022. I'm so happy that that you're here. Same. Christening the year. Cheers. Cheers to that. Salute. If we were close enough, we could cheers, but... Mm, 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 mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. aesthetically pleasing, mm. but then when you taste it, you're like, what? what? It's on another level. <laughs> it's gorgeous to look at and it is also gorgeous to drink. Yes, ma'am. It is called an Elk's Own. And I had never made this until a week or so ago, but I had seen like recipes of it and I had seen it on this YouTube guy that I follow. And I was, it, they call it like a winter drink. And so as it's been cold, I felt, I was like, oh man, like that's what I'm craving. Now's my time. I have Now's a my time. of time right. <laughs> for a winter drink. Now break. we're back to, to me personally, this is like perfect weather. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was cold there for, for quite a while. Yeah. So the Elk's Own is an ounce of, um, it's supposed to be rye whiskey. I will admit, um, it is, I use bourbon because I don't have, nor do I enjoy rye, to be honest, um, as much, but you're supposed to use rye. However, uh, it is still delicious with bourbon, um, an ounce of bourbon, an ounce of port, a half ounce of lemon juice, a quarter of an ounce of simple syrup that I made homemade. Like I said, so easy to make simple syrup. You just take equal parts, water and sugar, and you just stir it up until it's like all liquefied. And then you have simple syrup, easy breezy. And then an egg white. And then I did a dry shake, which is a shake with no ice and then a shake with ice. And then it makes it nice and frothy and delicious. Oh, that's really cool. I know. So... Do what does the dry shake do to allow the icy shake to like help right. the finish? The dry shake is allowing more oxygen to get into all of these ingredients. And so when you're shaking it, you're shaking it also with the oxygen to make it light and fr- fluffy, fluffy with a egg yolk. Oh. Egg white. Wow, an egg yolk. That would be a different drink altogether. <laughs> so the Dry incorporates more of the air into the drink to make it lighter and fluffier. And then you obviously put the ice in to make it cold and to add a little bit of water. That is to the cocktail. What? I know. You just changed my world. You live, you learn. Oh my goodness. <laughs> science. I love science. science. Yeah. Science and cocktails is like you get real deep, real you can go you can go down that rabbit trail. Um I yeah, and then I top this off with a little bit of um, nutmeg on top. So there we go. The Elks own our own drink right here, right now for you and me. Yes, ma'am. doing some day drinking. <laughs> so always down. For that. Always down for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Like I said, this drink should be consumed pretty somewhat quickly because it is a very specific concoction of. Um, 
the texture has to be kind of held together. It's not like a long sipper for forever, but it's very easy also to drink. Great. So if you're like a very efficient consumer of cocktails, then it's (laughs) one for you. Right. (laughs) You picked the right girl. Perfect. That's why we're here. So speaking of cocktails, which is one of our favorite subjects, I would love to know around town, around this town, what would be like two to three places that you would love to grab a drink with a friend or on a date or wherever. My first thought when you ask me that is like, where would I want to go? Where could I go at any given time? And it's probably the Wellburn. Yeah. Because there's never a day that I would not be in the mood for free puppies. Mm-hmm. Their tequila drink um, or free puppies in general. I was like, are the puppies there? <laughs> the free puppies. The they free have this puppies. Okay. tequila. <laughs> they have this tequila drink that is just all good things. Okay. And, um, ice and it's perfect it's just so good okay um i also really like the robinson room yep because i can get down with some mezcal you can so can they i went to reyes last night i'm sure you've been to reyes yes and so man their menu is just straight up (laughs) yes and this girl is so happy there's a um there's one called the matador at Reyes that's on their happy hour menu. Okay. And yeah, you could probably find me there a Fair couple enough. times a month. Right. Um, enjoying. Fair enough. I was there yeah. last night. I got a Paloma. Um, Some I grapefruit. I love grapefruit. I really love grapefruit in any drink or by itself. I just love that. Tequila and Mezcal and I are not like the closest of friends. So a Paloma is probably at the end of tequila that I would want to drink. All right. Fair. Good choice. Yeah. Yeah. And then I ordered another drink that was Mezcal and it ended up being quite Mezcal. So I gave it to my friend to drink and I was like, (laughs) I can't drink this. We just don't. We don't jive. Oh, we don't vibe. Okay. But uh, yeah, so you like Robinson Room for Mezcal drinks. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like, um, I think my experience there has been fun because you can kind of ask one question of the bartender and then mm-hmm. it just unleashes this wealth of knowledge. Okay. So every time I go, I'll end up asking a question about something uh, behind the bar mm-hmm. or what they recommend. And then, you know, it turns into a history lesson about the building. Like it's just, it's a cool experience. It is. Um, I'm also like an early person. An early a, drinker. An early, not an early drinker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, today and that too. <laughs> but as far as in the, the grand scheme of going out. Right. So like an early evening. Drinker. I'm a very early evening. Like when people, I'm a happy hour goer. Right. Um, and then by the end of happy hour is when I want to be home. Fair so, enough. Yeah. It's nice because I oftentimes get to connect if I'm out for a cocktail. Right. I get to connect to whoever's making it because no one else is there. There. You're there on the happiest of hours. It is. The earliest of hours. Um, That's wonderful. Another place that I really like is um, I have someone that is just very near and dear to me, Courtney Williams. She is just a genius when it comes to creating cocktail menus. And oh. so she just opened Thrived with partners. She's working on another fun okay. project. Where's Thrives? It's downtown. Okay. They have a great food menu, great cocktail menu. Okay. It's on Orange, right? Yes. Yes. Um, I've passed And it. I find her ideas to be very easy to understand, okay. easy to drink. Yum. 
and innovative at the same time. Um, so she's always just with it. Her concepts are great. And so anywhere that Courtney um, Goes, is part of you will or opens up, I I know it's like a sure bet. Right. Where you go, I will go. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm a fan of hers. Do you have any of her drinks that you are memorable or that uh, are like? There were a few back when she opened Southern Craft. Okay. Um, Which is literally like steps from we here. Could, we could totally stumble down there. We could. Um, but she did open up that concept with them um, and has since moved on. But she came up with this coffee tequila drink. Okay. That was just pretty magical. Anytime it sounds wild. Coffee with anything. Right. But <laughs> coffee and tequila for me. That's what I'm saying. Forget it. Right. Like, That's your jam. Yep. Okay. Call me up. I'll be Call there. Call me up. Um, coffee and tequila together. Yeah. Fair I enough. Really sound like a, a cheerleader for cocktails. Um as you should. <laughs> That's why we're here. Yeah. As you should. Are you any much of a home bartender? I try. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I would say I'm like whiskey curious mm. or bourbon curious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I pick, I really picked the, the perfect drink. You really did because it's expanding my palate for sure. Uh-huh. I, My wife and I both have a hard time with it with whiskey. Okay. Um, and so I'm always trying to find ways to enjoy it. And I think I've tried for like four years now to master just an old fashioned. Okay. That can be a tricky one. It is very tricky because not every, not, they don't always turn out the same, even at different establishments. Sometimes I'm like, Oh, I like it here. But then other times I'm like, Oh, this didn't turn out. So sometimes I can understand at home yeah, you might be. just need that touch, you know. Some people mm-hmm. just some have people a touch have the touch, right? Yeah. Um, so I do, I do enjoy trying to master things. Okay. Um, and there's I not also a lot a, of margin of error in an old fashioned no. versus like something else that's like mostly tonic water or like something else. You know what I mean? Like, well, and then to hear you say that, just, I'm like, I also take recipes as a suggestion. <laughs> Also great. I go yep. on my own path mm-hmm. of intuition. So I do, we do like to make cocktails, but you know, in the summertime, it's much more uh, festive and fun. So we enjoy um, making gin drinks. Mm. And um, in the holiday time, I love to mix cider and mezcal or cider and champagne and things mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, I do like making cocktails at home. I do. I love to hear that. Love to hear it. Well, if you ever need any ideas, clearly you can always call Hear my right? <laughs> call my number. Well, this one I'm definitely going or, to be bringing uh, home. Good, 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 good. I love it. Uh huh. Mm. It's it's a it's an easy one to drink. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And it's a good whiskey. And I I really love doing that because especially I've had a lot of dinners with that ladies come to, of course. Um, and then making a cocktail that sometimes they're surprised by whiskey. They're like, Oh, this is a whiskey drink. Cause usually I don't like whiskey or usually I wouldn't drink this. And then make, making it like approachable, fruity, fun, not too like strong in a sense like it, like not, it's not just doesn't taste like straight bourbon or a straight whatever, but it is a well-balanced and well, very easy drinkable whiskey bourbon cocktail. You're right. As like a, 
like when you put it with other complex flavors, it really works. You know, by right. itself, it's an acquired taste. It can be, yes, for sure. <laughs> but every time you make a cocktail with whiskey, I'm always like, gosh, I'm such a fan. I love it. And mm. it always goes well with dinner. Mm. Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah. Anytime. Yeah. Anytime. I love it. Speaking of master, thankfully today I have my hair master mm. on the podcast. Finally. <laughs> so uh, if you don't know, Taryn Tucker is a uh, incredibly accomplished uh, hairstylist and among amongst many of things, makeup artist and all the things, but you've been doing my hair now for, well, I've known you for many of years. We were trying to figure out this the other day, like eight I think years? it's been now, ten we've years? known each other nine years. Nine years. Probably going on ten years Okay, August. Um, right. That makes yeah. sense. And I've lived here, though, for eight for, years. For eight years. Mm-hmm. But I knew you before you moved here. Yes. Officially. Because you came down to work with Roxy or who? I did. I came down to work with Be Creative House. Right. Uh, we okay. were in the exchange building and I would commute from North Florida, the Panhandle. Right. Um, Panama City Beach represent. I would I would commute in right. and uh, I would come, I would work, I would go home, be a mom, do right. hair. And that became Fun yet difficult when you're trying to be present sure. for your child. Totally. So we decided before he started kindergarten, okay, where he starts kindergarten is where he will grow up. Mm. Um, you right. know, if we can keep it that way, of sure. course. And fair enough. So I chose to make the move and start a life in Orlando to pursue my dreams of education. And being a hairdresser as well as, you know, raising a great future adult. Sure. And it's really turned out to be our home. Oh, I love it. Before we get too much more down that path, we're going to back up a little bit because I would love to hear the origins of your story. And I feel like we don't really get to choose where we're placed in the universe and we are plopped down here. And then like... The rest of the humans were figuring it out from there. We don't choose our family of origin or our socioeconomic status or our skin color or anything. So I would love to know kind of like what were your beginning years like with your family and kind of those dynamics? And did you have siblings? Like what was kind of like those first early years up until maybe about five? How, what did that feel like? So I... As you said, we can't choose where we come into the earth. Um, my parents did not choose me <laughs> because okay. my sister was 20 and my brother was 15. Whoa. And they really saw the light at the end of the tunnel as far as, uh, you know, being empty nesters and pursuing their endeavors as husband and wife with adult children. Sure. And then all of a sudden... Here comes Taryn. Yes. Really? Yep. Surprise. Surprise. Here I am. Was not even on the radar. Radar um, was not supposed to happen. And, you know, sometimes those those surgeries you have to prevent things don't always work. Really? My dad had a vasectomy. Sure. And 
Yeah. And so my parents were like, what? <laughs> what? Yes. This is amazing. Yeah. So you're I like a literal miracle. I am a miracle. And so is my child, which is cool. Or just like, we're all a bunch of little miracles walking totally. around on this earth. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, but I did, I was, I was treated as a miracle. Although my brother loves, loved to tell me when I was younger, <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be here. Sure. But that's what brothers do. Right. Um, but I was, I was treated as a miracle like that, you know, it was kind of like this little golden child. My grandparents were older, so they all moved to be close to us Wow! and help my parents. I mean, they sure. had their own businesses and my mom, the day I was born, my mom was the lead of a local festival that we did. Okay. Um, I'm from Moultrie, Georgia. Okay, right. And in the the deep, deep south of Georgia, I grew up on a sheep farm. And you do not sound like you're from. We'll get there. The deep part of Georgia. Okay. <laughs> it's been a the long journey of appreciating where I come from. Okay. My voice has a. It does have a uh, story to it. Okay. But I was born in South Georgia on a day that my mom was leading a festival called Festival in the Square. Okay. Which no one in that town doesn't show up for because it's what you do. It is a staple event. So my mom is literally throwing a parade, a festival, everything, and giving birth at the same time. She was getting phone calls in the in the hospital room. That sounds like a nightmare personally, but that's crazy. It's my mom. She just my mom can be omnipresent in her own ways and and a, doesn't allow things to really rattle her. Okay. Um, I am not that way. Sounds like the perfect person to <laughs> lead a festival. Yeah. <laughs> also while giving birth. That's insane. Isn't that crazy? Totally crazy. So it was like, um, I, you know, kind of came into a life that wasn't really set up for me. Uh, it was a life that had already, already been, been established, established and living and vibrant yeah. and moving. And so I just had to kind of jump on board. Mm-hmm. Um, I think lambs were my first friends. Like I grew up on a sheep farm. So lambs, lambs and sheep dogs. I, my early childhood memories literally are with animals. Right. So that was cool. And my grandmother, my grandpas. So it was a sweet upbringing, uh, until I realized how different I was. <laughs> And because you were so much younger than your siblings or I think because I naturally have a, a way of going about the world that is different than status quo in, you know, small town, South Georgia. I love it there. I really do. Sure. Um, but, you know, your name means a lot. What you wear means a lot. Your etiquette means a lot Mm -hmm. and you're really to make the choice to blend right in is uh, acceptable. Anything other than that is different to grain. Yeah, sure. And so I had the best childhood that my parents could give me. Um, I think I was just born in a, into an area that now I appreciate Mm -hmm. Um, and now I love genealogy and mm. I've learned to truly appreciate my ancestral traumas mm-hmm. and stories and where I come from. Mm-hmm. 
though there, there's always been like an unrest with the Mm. self for me. Mm. So, but now as an adult, I'm like, Oh, I see it clearly like deep in my knowing things were sweet, but they weren't quite right. Like our history is hard, hard to digest. Mm -hmm. And even as a kid, you're reminded of it even by other kids. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, being a blonde haired, blue eyed girl is, is, has privileges though. You, you really stand out, um, in a crowd in the South when you don't choose to do what other people want you to do. Fair enough. And you don't hang out with the people that you're supposed to hang out with. Yeah. So I, I made different choices and I am still friends with people to this day that I grew up with Mm -hmm. and we learned from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can't say that like it's a it's home to me. Mm. Sure, never felt like that mm. settled that settled feeling. Like I want to put down roots. I want to like make this. Yeah, yeah. Or I want to be a part of this community. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to say out loud, but it's mm-hmm. the truth. So, how did you? What was Taryn like in like middle school, high school? Oh, <laughs> so I had a really good middle school experience. I got to dance every day after school right. and walk to the dance studio. So I had, there was like a crew of us that would do that. And we were each other's touch points. Mm. We didn't come from the same backgrounds. We didn't have the same amount of money. We didn't have the same households. but every single day we would gather at the end of the day. And it was kind of like this little reset before we went to dance. And mm. so they made middle school doable. I get emotional talking about it because school is hard. Mm -hmm. School's hard for me. Yeah. So when you go through school and it doesn't make sense to you educationally, academically, um, you have to hold on to being educated in other ways. Mm. So... Smarts can look like a lot of different things. A lot of different things. Yeah. And uh, I think I learned to be uh, socially accepting and graceful. Hmm. I did not grow up in an area that that you go to school and look like everyone else. Um, I grew up with a, a broad variety of people. Mm-hmm. And so school is probably my biggest downfall. Um, academics, all of that. Education was really hard for me. I did not do well in school. I did not have good grades. And I got by barely. Right. Um, but middle school was great socially. Okay. And those people... Um, that I developed relationships with in and out of school are still the people that I kind of like reference to in good, like childhood learnings. So those middle school is that place for me. Right. High school was like a wash. In what way? It was a really hard experience. And I started that track of like, 
being being the good girl, mm-hmm. um, being everyone's friend, which was established in middle school. Okay. But this is a, some of the same folks. Some of the same folks. But, are, you know, you grow, you change. Yeah. And then I decided, like, going into high school, into a new school, that I was going to do what my sister did in high school and what my mom did in high school and do what you're supposed to do. And did they go to the same high school? They did not. They did no, not. but they okay. were cheerleaders and they were homecoming queens. And I was just like, I felt like that was the standard of which I needed to kind of become. Right. Um, by this time I was dancing competitively. I was a dancer mm-hmm. and I was also doing pageants, which is whole nother story. <laughs> um, um, can we talk, can we get into that story? Yeah. Junior Pageant? Miss South Georgia. Yeah. Junior Miss South Georgia. Oh yeah. What is happening right now? I know. Okay. So, you know, they're little Miss Sunshine, little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> oh, was little Miss Karen. Uh huh. You were in pageants. I was. And was this of like your, <clears throat> volition or was it just kind of what you thought you should do? Like, I mean, dance probably was like a very good fit for you as far as like expressing creativity, emotion, beauty, physical and outlet. Right. That you probably felt successful at where school was maybe not as an easy success in the paper, in the schoolwork, homework, but that like dance probably allowed you to feel like I am successful here. Totally. And did that translate over to pageants? It did. I mean, in the South, here and now, dance is so popular that you can you can be exposed to so much more. At that point in time, you're looking at, oh, to perform, what are my options? And pageants are basically the option besides a recital and the couple of chances you get a year to compete. Because you're so far away from everywhere. Okay. Um, And it also is just what you do. I mean, the... I'm not kidding when I say I was, like, literally torn between, you know, that deep south lifestyle and Mm -hmm. being groomed to... Have that life. Have that life. Right. and, And, you know, walk the path of smiling and agreeing and being Mm. eloquent and being able to speak to anyone without making any waves. Were there any other people that did not have that trajectory or did not want that trajectory? Uh, Me. I didn't want it. I know I'm saying, were there other people that you felt like you could like bond with or like connect with to say like, no, I mean, on the other side of that, they were, throwing dances after school to keep kids out of gangs. So really that's why I learned hip hop. Mm. I mean, that's how I learned how to dance. And I, it was, it's like very separate as far as the South of what you, what you kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And I was like right there in the middle. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I was like torn between kind of everything that it is. It's also like a lot of farms and, um, you know, being gay or anything different than anyone else mm-hmm. is just, you don't talk about it. You don't do it. You don't, you don't. Was period. that something that you realized early on? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that I've, 
I've always bounced between like doing the right thing of what's socially acceptable of the people of which I come from. Um, and then, and then just doing my thing that feels true and right to me. Sure. Um, so what was the original question? <laughs> like saying? in high school, what, what were, what, how are you showing? You said the high school is a wash. Oh, high school was a wash because I tried to go the route. I, I made varsity cheerleading, uh, cheerleader as a ninth grader, which is kind of unheard of. Sure. And, um, I was doing very well and things were looking up, but I didn't feel that way. Mm. So that kind of set me up for the, my adult learnings mm. too, of like on the outside, I look really great, but on the inside, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot discord. of discord. Discord. Yeah. yeah. And were your parents aware of any of this of like, Hey, there's something that's, I mean, sh- I mean, you're doing, you're kind of hitting some of those markers of like, yeah, you're checking off some of those boxes, but like, were there any underlying things that your parents ever like picked up on? Like some things maybe not right or she's not, she's maybe like emotionally, should we check in or is she okay? Yeah. I, I do believe that, but I also believe that as a parent, you want your kids to be good and you want them to be happy Mm -hmm. and, and sound. And it's really difficult as a parent to meet sometimes your kids where they are because you want to be like, oh, no, you're okay. You're okay. You're going to get through this. You're going to mm-hmm. get through this. And my parents were very understanding of academic, standardized academics. It's not for me. Mm-hmm. And they allowed me to become homeschooled. Oh. And so I moved to New York. In high school? In high school and started an internship there. And I worked. You moved to New York in high school? I did. I had a roommate from Delaware. And our parents would alternate coming in. And checking in on us. Wow. So my mom looked at me one day and when we were making this decision, she goes, you know, if you want to be an attorney, we're going down the wrong path. So you need to let me know now that this is truly, you know, this path of more of of alternative, creative Mm -hmm. living is going to be your your Path. path. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I mean, I can't do this any longer. I won't make it. In high school. In high school. Wow. And sometimes I wonder, is it, was I kind of, did I need to be in a space of which I felt safe to just, um, be around people that maybe didn't also didn't fit in, in smaller towns. Did I need to be in an area where I kind Mm. of blended in just Mm -hmm. so I could discover myself and breathe? Yeah. And I did. Yeah, I did. And they allowed me that. And in New York city, how old were you? I was, I was 16 at this point. Wow. Yeah. So my parents gave me space and that's like a miracle. It's also a miracle. on top of a miracle, like for your parents to let you go to New York city at 16 and to give you space, like that is yeah. a rare occurrence. I feel like I know. And for I mean, you to make it out alive on the other end. When you're raised with really good moral guidance and you're taught at a young age that everything good and bad has consequences. Mm. You're aware, you know, my parents gave space and allowing and tolerance because they made me aware young. They didn't coddle me. I, you know, I was with them. I was in kind of an adult world at an, at an early age. Mm -hmm. And when I was in the kid world and I'm watching middle school, high school, I'm like immersed by my peers. I, I was like, this isn't, this isn't working. 
I can't do these social dynamics. Right. And now where we are now, like as far as our social awareness, I look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, it didn't fit. It didn't feel right. And it, it wasn't. It isn't right. You know, there's it was a just, very different time. Yeah. Like now it feels like it's more the norm. Yeah. And there's like, a narrative to it. And there's equality for so many more people, or at least like yeah. we're working towards that. <clears throat> and now I look back and I'm like, oh, maybe I was just a little ahead of my time. You were ahead of your time. I just didn't know what to call I it. I mean, so many people. Anyway. Yeah. So many people didn't have that, have that um, reality and or. Uh, ability of expression. So you were in New York city, you're Mm -hmm. doing homeschooling in New York. I was also homeschooled too, but I was not homeschooled in New York city by myself. (laughs) That would have been a dream. (laughs) Mine was a lot less cute than that. But, um, where, where in New York city, and I have so many questions. This could be the entire rest of the podcast, but we will not land here for forever. But where were you in New York city? And then how did you finish your high school years. So I was in Midtown. Okay. I worked I worked in Midtown as well. And as a sixteen year old? Mm-hmm. At Broadway Dance Center is where I was oh, I was okay. interning there. Got it. Um and so I was in New York City for that time doing schoolwork. I came back to uh to the South at this point I chose to go to our family home in Panama City. Mm-hmm. And I finished up high school until okay. I could move to LA. Got it. And that's what I did. That's what you did. And what year were you in LA? I moved to LA in 2004. <gasps> were you there too? I was there in 2005. Oh, we were there at the I... same time. Were you there in 2005? Yeah. Oh, I wish I would have known you. It would have been a game changer. Where did you live? I lived in LA and I could not find my people. Like Uh, I, and this was before social media. I lived in Palos Verdes for a while, which is the very, like by Redondo beach, Torrance uh area at the very, very tip, Southern tip of LA. And then I lived in Santa Monica for a while. Girl, we were living in Santa Monica at the same time. I bet. I wish I would have known because literally I, I lived there for less than a year and I just could not find my people. And it was so expensive that I was just dying. I was like, this is not fun for me. Like I, I don't, I can't go out that much when I do go out. I almost, I don't know anybody. And it wasn't like, there was no Yelp. There was no like meetup. There was no like social things where you could like, there's no dinner party project. There was no way to like find people to be friends with, like literal friends. And so it was just like a really hard time. I felt the most you, lonely. You feel like someone who really is comforted by community and connection. Yeah. And you're right. I I love California. I do too. People, I think living there now is a different story. It probably is. And people are in pursuit of of success. They're in pursuit of something. So when you're there, everyone's got an agenda, right? So to connect with your community and yourself at it and to in that age range, right? Right. Is uh, very difficult to find. Very difficult to find. It felt like everyone, yeah, everyone's looking over your shoulder of like, who else can I talk to? Or like, it felt like a very, it's a very strange place because it's, gorgeous in most a lot of places like Malibu and the beaches and there's 
the natural beauty that is that is California. But it also feels very it felt to me in 2005, like very superficial in the sense of like everyone is there to like pursue, like to be a hairdresser, an actress or director or be in that industry in some context And I wasn't really out there to make it in any way. I just was like, I've never lived in California, so here I go. I love that about you. I'm a risk taker. And so it also felt like a town also full of broken dreams. Because Mm. it's like there's only so many slots to fill. There's only so many hairdressers. There's only so many stylists to the stars. There's only so many directors. There's only so many things. And so I just felt like there was also a lot of like brokenness and heartbreak there too. And then a lot of people just trying to make it, which I understand if you're trying to make it, that's one of the places to be. Maybe not as prevalent in 2022, but um, yeah. Yeah. At that time, social media wasn't what it is today. How people connect, you know, not at all. Um, And you as someone who loves stories, I can see it being, there being a draw to that with that like brokenness they all have everyone has stories right so I love that I like that you like see a risk and you take it it's just but you also took a risk and you moved to LA I as did. like a teenager and so that's when I dropped my accent um that's when oh. I realized my parents said you know if you're not going to do college we kind of had another check in there about sure. school if you're not going to do college uh you do need to have some education so you need to choose choose something what you want to do, which I'm very privileged and grateful that I got to choose what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I chose to go to makeup school and I went to makeup school downtown in the Wiltern theater, Sure, downtown LA. And I got to do, um, like prosthetics and special effects. And it was so cool and fun. So not me. Fair I, enough. Um, yeah. Fair I mean, enough. Yeah. People are so talented at it. Um, it, it did not, excite me or inspire me mm-hmm. to do special effects, but I learned it and I had a good time, but also learned basic makeup, basic makeup gen- as well. Yeah. General, right. Airbrush makeup. And also it kind of started my love of history of fashion and people surrounding fashion. Mm-hmm. So even to this day, I'm like really into the history of hairdressers and, and the stories of fashion houses and mm-hmm. all the people who, Uh, have supported the growth of that. But when I was in LA, I realized very quickly that my accent exuded a a very, mm, it didn't exude intellect. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Mm. I sounded very dumb to people and I noticed that I would oftentimes get overlooked or people wouldn't even have real conversations with me. It almost seemed like I wasn't Mm. capable and that bothered me. Mm. Uh, It bothered me in the dance world. Um, Less so because you're dealing with a lot of street dancers and people just come from everywhere. You are what like go for it in the dance world. So I could kind of hide, but in the, in the beauty world of California, you kind of had to look, talk, be the part. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like it's still the case probably. And I'm not proud of this, but I have done it and I did it dis- successfully mm-hmm. in New York. I started listening to people and I, when I liked their voice, I would start to kind of 
imitate the way they would say certain things um, and inflections mm-hmm. and all of that. When I got to California, I realized everyone ends the sentence as they're going up. <laughs> and I didn't love that. <laughs> and so I did the opposite. So it's funny. I started to like play with my voice a little bit. Wow. Um, and uh, I accomplished it. The problem is, is that I, when I go home, people don't know I'm from there. And, and it's really hard now to kind of connect with my Southern people because does it like, ever huh? come back out? Does yeah. it ever like, yes. you know, my wife says like when she's at home visiting, cause we still have our farm and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're visiting, um, and I'm talking with my family, she's like, I can't understand anything you guys say. It's so thick. Sure. Yeah, it's very yeah. thick. So, um, so yeah, when I'm around my family, especially my brother, right. He, um, he's a very, very thick accent and I don't know, maybe I just kind of revert to being a little girl too. <laughs> you know, those like dynamics. Um, I just, my voice, my accent really comes out, but California is where I really started to mold myself as an adult mm-hmm. and started to really like check in of like, how do I want to show up in the world? And it was messy. You so know? you went to school for Makeup and not hair. Not hair. Okay. So, yeah. I was like, identity crisis. Sure. I don't know what sure. I'm doing. Love doing makeup, though. I had fun doing sure. that. Um, I finally told my parents, I think I need to go to hair school. I was looking mm-hmm. around uh, at some shows. I was doing some fashion shows with a makeup team. And one of the hairdressers confused me as a hairdresser and I was too polite to say I wasn't a part of the team. So I just jumped in, did it anyway. Yeah. And I told my mom, I was like, I think I need to know how to do that because Mm -hmm. if ever I'm in that situation, I Mm -hmm. need to be able to to, To do it. Yeah, I did. It was, it was fun. And I was like, Oh cool. They were applying extensions. Um, and this is back in 2005 at this point. And, Mm -hmm. um, Oh, I wish I would have known you. It was so fun. That was at Circus Circus in in L.A. So I moved on. I was like, I'm going to go to hair school. I found Sassoon. I took my longboard. I rolled into Vidal Sassoon in Santa Monica with a skateboard. When I walked in, I was like, oh, no. What did I do? (laughs) I look crazy. I had this, like, weird mohawk thing and this longboard. And I was, like, probably sweaty because I had been, like, skating for 25 blocks. Sure. And uh, I interviewed and I got in and I, yeah, I fell in love with cutting Mm. and, um, I like haven't stopped. I haven't stopped creating in my head about haircutting Mm. since it's like to this day, the most inspiring, Mm -hmm. um, It's probably the most inspiring outlet I've ever had. Right. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, We love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties. So if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, 
we can create a custom memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. So that was what year? That was in 2000, like a span of 2006-7. Right. Till 2022. Mm -hmm. So there's been a couple of years, quite a few years in there of doing hair. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've had a lot of adventures. I have. Yeah. Can you share like one or two? Yeah. I mean, I came out of school not ever knowing how to use a round brush. I could cut like the most precise bob. I knew every haircut that Vidal Sassoon teams had ever done and and just obsessed over it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how to hold a round brush. Like I didn't know how to do hair as we know it now. So... I had the opportunity to attend a razor class in New York. This was some years later, about five years later. Mm -hmm. And I picked up a razor. I went to New York with my friend. I picked up a razor and we were at Bumble and Bumble University. And uh, that is when the game really changed for me. Mm -hmm. And I came home and I was like, I'm going to work for Bumble one day. Whatever it takes, I'm going to work for Bumble one day. And I, I did. I mean, it was, I don't know how it all happened, but sure. I actually did it. And yeah. I've, I worked for them for 11 years. Mm-hmm. And so through, through Bumble, I ha- I now know how to hold a round brush <laughs> and do many things with a round many brush. Many more things than just that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I really built a solid foundation. I went mm-hmm. from one really great method built off of architecture and the history of of cutting in, um, in England Mm -hmm. to people just coming over from England, messing up hair with a razor and figuring it out and having a good time and creating products. And it was just so like punk rock and so wonderful. With Fidel Sassoon? Oh no, Bumble. With Bumble, So I had like these polar opposite, my whole life has kind of been that way. Yeah, classical right. training, but then it was like, now I get to go sketch a haircut with a razor, and I get to, like, do whatever I want and just push mm-hmm. the hair as fabric, just mm-hmm. beyond beyond even what, even what looks pretty. Like, you just keep pushing it, um, and that's how you develop your eye. And so I really found... These two foundations between Sassoon and Bumble mm-hmm. have created this little sauce that is that is me. Sure. Um, and then, of course, the people along the way, right, that you learn Influence and you. grow from yeah. and um, and that you teach who become your teachers. Mm-hmm. But in that, I have gotten to teach some of the most talented hairdressers and I've gotten to work under, um, you know, people who... We may not know it, but people who have laid the groundwork for how you wear mm-hmm. your hair today are the people I've mm-hmm. gotten to learn from. So I've been on. Um, I know we've talked a little bit about history, right? And like yeah. the the value and the remembrance of people that have come before and that we didn't just show up here and that we're not just here in 2022. It's like 
there have been so many things that have laid the path, you know, even for women, even for hairdressers, but just have laid and have gone through so much so that we can step into what we are able to step into today and not take that for granted. It's so true. Yeah. Because the, the path of which people take to get to even how we wear our hair these days was a path of innovation. Mm -hmm. And um, now it's, we have it so easy. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the history, these people really took, they took what they had and they created with it. Mm -hmm. And that's what really keeps me going at the history of hairdressing. And I try to pick up the tools that were used in decades past and keep the, the mastery alive Mm -hmm. in my own craft um, as kind of an homage to them. And when I work with these people like backstage at fashion week, Mm -hmm. or I assist them at bigger shows, um, you listen and you watch like you, Mm -hmm. you listen with your eyes. You want to glean everything that you can. And you, um, really absorb what their hands are doing because these hands have been taught by the hands of the people that got us where we are today. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and at some point there will be a lineage that will die off of those hairdressers. And I have like this really, this same with genealogy because I really love just ancestry in general. Mm -hmm. It's like, I have this, mission to just keep it alive in my own craft and always kind of keep notes of it Mm. in my classes. Sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really special experience and I have had the best education and I've worked with the most amazing people, but Orlando has the most amazing hairdressers. Mm. I, and blown away every day. Blown away every day. Before we get to them, I would like to know, as someone who has been a couple of times, most gratefully, to some fashion shows uh, for Fashion Week in New York, I would love to hear, like, one story. Like, that, to me, like, I was... There was nothing like being at a New York show, fashion show, like there to me, like still to this day, like the, the feeling of being in the room and just the beauty that's walking down the runway. It really is. And it's so insane that they spend that amount of money on such a short show, but there is nothing like it even now. Like what, like, can you share like one client that you worked with that you liked or like the creativity that you're able to explore during New York Fashion Week or? Yeah, a lot come to mind. Um, I, one time, which still makes me laugh to this day, is that uh, this kind of will give you a cap, like a visual of how it is backstage. You are all hands on deck, so nothing is yours, Mm -hmm. which I love. Uh, You as a team have a goal, and you are available to get anyone to that goal. So, Oftentimes you're not really looking at the models. You're just doing, you're Mm. going, you're, there's two to three people on a head. You have to stop, start, jump on other people. And I was doing a curling iron technique. And one of my favorite hairdressers, Laurent Philippon was 
leading the show. And he comes up and he said, um, uh, Bella, are you okay? And I looked up and it was Bella Hadid and I was curling her hair and I didn't know it. Okay. And I was like, sure. Oh, That's just another regular Thursday. I'm so glad that I didn't know that. I would have never approached her. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. And then right next to her. And, and then I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like, I kind of, kind of like doing it. snapped me back mm-hmm. to the moment. And I look around and right next to her had sat down, um, now Haley Bieber. She wasn't Haley Bieber at the time. And I was like, this is wild. What am I doing right now? <laughs> that was really cool. Yeah. Um, but my most favorite memory is getting to do braids. Uh, I got to do feed-in braids on uh, for a show called Gypsy Sport. Okay. And uh, just look up Gypsy Sport. He, he, they're just amazing. And um, the types of models that they bring in, they've kickstarted some careers for people that um, would have never otherwise uh, had a career modeling. But I got to do these feed in braids that went to the floor. Whoa. And I learned that you can only seal them with boiling water. Oof. So it was snowing outside. I have no idea where I am in New York city. Right. And I'm in some soundstage doing feed in braids and all of a sudden we need boiling water. <laughs> so I was like, so proud of my work. And then I was like, Oh, oh where do we get boiling water? Whoopsies. So I ran to the, I ran to like this corner store and I found one of those teapots that you electric mm-hmm. teapots. So we boiled water in that and dipped their hair in electric pe- a teapot. Just That's one. amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, so you have had multiple adventures, a lot of things crisscrossing the United States of America and you have landed in Orlando, Florida, thankfully. Um, like I said, I've known you for probably at least nine years. And so being in Orlando is not LA or New York city, but kind of how, I mean, you've been here for uh, a good amount of years. You've kind of bounced around to a couple different places. Um, but kind of like, what was that transition like to Orlando? And then kind of where have you landed currently? So moving to Orlando, I worked at a small boutique salon and loved them very much. Lamsey Ivy in Thornton Park. Mm-hmm. And that was a great segue into living here. Uh, was that your first salon? First salon here. Yeah. And they're literally still my best friends. Mm. Just, we are, there's a connection there that we will always have. And I am so grateful to my experience there because I was able to do hair and teach at the same time with Bumble. Mm. Mm-hmm. And while doing that, I, any Bumble salon in this area, I've gotten to be a part of mm-hmm. and gotten to know, you know, their inner workings and, uh, their Their skill levels. Yeah. And it's been so cool to watch because I have seen a lot of hairdressers in a lot of places and I've been around very talented people. And I will say, I've I've said this for years, Orlando has the most talent in one Hmm. concentrated area. Um, I love the salons here. I love the salon owners. And when I'm looking at how I want to work behind the chair, it isn't about what's the best salon. It's about where am I now? 
as okay. a creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, where am I now as like culturally um, the business model, things mm-hmm. like that. And it has nothing to do with the personality so much, um, which I think is a, is often misconceived as like people go to a salon and they have a falling out and they leave or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, that happens um, because you're dealing with humans with emotions and their creatives. But for me, it's more about, I feel invited into so many salons in Orlando mm-hmm. that I can, I've been able and had the privilege to choose where I'd like to do hair at that time. Mm-hmm. And so it's been fun to evolve in my own craft yeah. in various salons. Cause I feel like a part of everyone's family. Um, it's a huge privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found that, uh, alchemy is my home and it's always kind of been a place that I've admired and I've always felt at home in. I just never thought I was good enough to work there. And so with a huge eye roll, what are you <laughs> even talking about? They're just so talented. So are you. Thank you. Good Lord. I have a really strong connection with, um, the owner and I, I feel valued and I value everyone in there. Mm -hmm. And, um, she, she leads with a lot of grace and I, I love, I love walking into those doors every day. Mm -hmm. So that's a wonderful place to live. Yeah. Right. To be in your, I was talking to somebody last night who was like, I have my dream job. What a glorious place to be that like not everyone has that capacity and hopefully everyone's working towards that capacity. We all need to work. But um, yeah, being able to say like, I love walking through the doors every day. Yeah. What a huge part of your life that that's a good, safe place and it can pay your bills. Yeah. Yeah. Safe is a big word. Sure. Yeah. Found that feeling safe is, is uh, essential. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, to, to living in general, but thriving. Yes. Right. Um, and I don't work full time. Mm -hmm. I'm able to work my dream job in my dream salon, but also have time for my family. Mm -hmm. And that's also a dream. That is a dream. Yeah. And it's coming true. It's, I love it. So. I love dreams coming true. Um, thank you for sharing all the, all the things and thank you for being who you are in the city. And I'm so honored that we have so much great talent here, right? We're not in LA, we're not New York and Chicago and whatever, but the talent that is in Orlando often like blows my mind of like immerse and Ugh. like Tori Tori in the sunroom bar. And like, there's just so many great folks doing a plus stuff, great, great, uh, salons, great, great talent, people doing some great. And it's individuals doing this, like moving that forward, doing the work, putting in the work you have to. And so that's why even with this podcast, there's so many people that I just like amaze me that they invest in the city, but it takes the putting in the work. 
to do it. Yeah. Right. The grit. It doesn't just like happen <laughs> as you know. So thank you for being my hairstylist and Yay. for creating many beautiful heads of hair throughout Thanks the years. Trusting. Of course. Um, so as we, as we continue on to also one of our very shared favorite, favorite topics, which is the Enneagram. The Enneagram. <laughs> um, we could probably do like a whole nother hour on the Enneagram, but, um, uh, I think as well for you, it has been like a powerful tool in my life. And if people aren't familiar with the Enneagram, it's kind of like a roadmap to the intricacies and the way that we're built as humans and the different DNA that we have been given and um, understanding it, looking at it, being honest with it, growing, healing, seeing our blind spots, seeing how we can be more compassionate to ourselves, more compassionate to other people. Hopefully that's the, like you said, kind of like leading with grace. Um, because man, we are different. We are different. I mean, every human, we're not just one on the nine. We're not just like, Oh, you're in this box of one. Every human is, is a snowflake. Um, but like being able to see, maybe some parameters that helped for me to understand the way that I'm built a little bit better and understanding other people and the way that they're built. What have you found in being an eight and mm-hmm. your risk taking? self? Mm-hmm. what have you found is like the number one thing that reminds you of your eightness when you're like, okay, like this is me mm-hmm. um, that you see like daily. What's something um, that's a great question. I don't know if daily is, but I think sometimes like when people respond to situations, I respond with anger. Oh, okay. And a lot of times I keep that in this body. Um, and how I interact with that is a, a varied trajectory. Um, but yeah, so I think that that's something like I can like, Oh, I feel it like in my body. And I know that not everyone has that innate reaction. So you have like a physical reaction to the anger, the emotion of anger. Sure. Like you feel it in your body because people are different type of feelers. It's so interesting. Right. Yeah. So I do. I feel that in my body. And I'm also the gut instinct, right? So everything is happening. Like I just feel things. You feel like the aid is like you're figuring it out. You feel it. You're just like, I just know this is what I want, or this, this is the thing. Powerhouses. So, so sometimes people are like, well, how do you learn that? Or how do you, whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. Like some, I think sometimes people just either you have it or you don't not so that you can't learn it, but it's just kind of like the gut instinct in your body paired with the anger response <laughs> is a, and I don't, um, I'm an eight wing nine. So my nine is very strong in like wanting to keep people happy and wanting to like, I, you know, read the room and, um, very, very aware in that sense. So it always feels like this juxtaposition of, of kind of like the frustration and then wanting to like keep people happy. 
Right. Always. And somewhere in between you find a, always, the day of balance. Always doing that dance. So for uh, you're, we're here to talk about you. What would you say your that your your number that you feel like you most identify with would be? A three. A three. I am mm-hmm. a solid three. Mm-hmm. I mean, post your kid right here. Post your kid right there. Literally, you read every word and you know me. <laughs> yep. Um, and the achiever. I am, a, I am the achiever. Yep. Yes. Um, and uh, I'm very strongly lean to wing four. So three, wing four, they dub as the expert, which makes right. me cringe. <laughs> but it's also but, not too far off uh, in... In some of your profession. It's true. I mean, you kind of learn to use use your traits for good, right? Or you mm-hmm. hope to. Like you saying with anger. Like, mm-hmm. anger can be fuel and it can come... It mm-hmm. could represent and come out in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just how you want to use it, right? Totally. So, I... It's almost like I think of a, uh, a volume knob. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. can turn it up or turn it down... And the Enneagram helps me understand, like, when, when do I bust out these natural traits and strengths? And mm-hmm. then when do I kind of turn them down a little bit mm-hmm. to not overpower? I so. would say if I was a hairdresser and I would want to learn from somebody, I would want to <laughs> learn from the experts. I don't want to learn from, like, somebody that's, like, still figuring it out or is, like, quasi-great at their job. Someone that has put in the hard work to be an expert would be the person that I would turn to yeah. to learn from. And then when As you're did a you. three and deceit is what you are, is kind of like your shadow, <laughs> shadow self. Work. Yeah. When you aren't the expert, you figure it out uh-huh. and then you sound and look like the expert. <laughs> yeah. Fake it till you make it. I mean, sometimes, or, you know, and that truly does happen where I feel this pressure to mm. be, to be the expert. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of pressure that comes from that. And then I go off to a nine when I'm unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So I just shut down. So if I go quiet, right. I'm that often, means... I'm often struggling. Right? right. So the, I forgot where I was going there with the three. Um, oh, figuring it out. Oftentimes that stuff, art comes from just a desire to know mm-hmm. and to create, and then you can learn everything else. So I just find like, if people have a question, a lot of times I'm like, go figure it out yourself. Why can't you just, for me, I have the capacity to do that. Well, you have a four wing, which is the artist. Yeah. And like, I can stay up till midnight or two o'clock in the morning. Not everyone researching everything that, <laughs> like, or practicing capacity or, even just some people, you just are artists. Like they just have it in their system in their knowing and they get to like get it out of their body. And you're like, how did you know to do that? Right. It's like, it's just a part of you. And so some people can learn some of those things too. But I mean, the artist really has a lot of formulaic things going on just naturally in their brains. It's true. In like a creative way. And some people just aren't that, which is totally fine too. Yeah. Because we need all the things. We need all, all the, the numbers. And to achieve effectively, um, you have to kind of be able to think and do mm-hmm. um, simultaneously. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm a solid three, but it, you're right. My job is so 
perfect or my career, mm-hmm. my passion is perfect for, for where I fall yeah. right now on the Enneagram. I also am a sibling to, we are three threes. <gasps> yes. Three children? Three children. All three of us. Are threes. Are threes. What about your parents? My mom is a seven and my dad's probably a nine because we're just a lot. Right. <laughs> Holy Moses. Yeah. When you were first thinking into the gram, I'm going to flip the question back on you, but like what that did that illuminate? Like in learning about yourself of like, oh, I am a three. I do see these things manifesting in my life. I feel it's, it's definitely the, um, the, probably the unhealthy parts, Mm. the sides of the Enneagram. And I think everyone would agree to this is like the things you read that you don't like. So I did not want to be an eight. Yeah, me either. I was like in grieving about it for a while. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to tell anyone. I don't want to see the mirror held up to myself. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Especially three is probably like the most of all the nine numbers. Like they don't want the mirror held oh, up to themselves, no. right? The threes no. are like, everything is perfect over here. Nothing, nothing to see. And that is where the perfectionism comes in, even in my work. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so with the threes are need to be to come off great and good and beautiful and yeah, our worth is in how we kind of show up to others. And so for us to be, for us to be humble, um, not even humble, I guess it would be more uh, vulnerable Mm -hmm. enough to say like, Hey, like, what you see is not actually like what you're getting, right? Um, is Who even says that <sighs> nobody. I, I thought that's it's... kind of what I thought. That's how like I thought everyone else in the world was just so wonderful, and I'm like always like doggy paddling, you know, um, to to try to like keep up, and and that's not how it is, mm-hmm. and I. Now I've learned to love those sides of myself because I'm like, oh, I can be that way. And I could say, hey, today is not my day or, mm-hmm. hey, I, I, I'm not great at this thing. And, but you have to acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. And ask for help. Yeah. So it is difficult in a job where you're judged off of other people's, other people's um, ability to wear and live in in the work you've created together. Mm -hmm. So it feels like you're having to attain perfection multiple times a day when you're working behind the chair. So it is very hard to face your threeness Mm -hmm. or hard for me because I'm still outwardly creating good stuff all the time. And I know I'm a good hairdresser now because I work at it still 15 years in. I work at it Mm -hmm. hard. (laughs) And you just completed barber school. I did. I, I'm, yeah. Right. I did barber school. Still, I love putting in the work. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I put it in. Um, but that is something that I, I know I'm good at hair and I know I can create good hair all day long. And I'm not going to be perfect at it, but I can finally say I'm good. But I'm also on the underside, always nurturing and sometimes parenting the inner child of that three, four wing of like always wanting to do the most, Mm -hmm. be the most. And it's not even about other people. 
is no. about your internal yeah. like measure yeah. measurements. Yes. Right. It's not trying to be the best. Not being people. good enough to yourself. Me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I have to wake up every day and I'm like, you are enough. Mm-hmm. You are effective. Mm-hmm. And you are elevating everyone around you and their experience. Mm-hmm. It's it needs okay. to be like a tattoo or like a mirror thing where you put it like across your mirror. So no, you're like one of these really great neon signs. That's right. You are enough. You are can, effective. Can you are effective. <laughs> um, how has it shown up in your um, relationship with your wife? It's been so lovely for us because I'm married to a one. Okay. And they're known as the reformer. Or so the perfectionist. Also perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and expect a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. So how that shows up in a marriage is uh, her oneness is oftentimes expressed. For instance, you walk in and something's on the island of the kitchen, mm-hmm. right? That is not one's love things pretty orderly. So she's like, uh, you left this on the island. Not a big deal to her. She's just letting me know. Right. To me, I'm like, <gasps> crushed. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I left this on the island. Like, I need, I should have the house perfect. No. Right. That's not it's her expectation. <laughs> right. So we've, we've learned a lot in that way of, of, of how to interpret the communication. Hmm. Um, and, and look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and understand that the lensing, the lenses of which we're hearing and seeing are just our own. Um, so it's created a lot of grace and a lot of insight Mm -hmm. for us. Mm. Um, and also with her profession, it mimics her profession. Her profession also mimics her oneness too. That makes sense. So totally, yeah, because yeah, um, it kind of goes hand in hand. So that's why I like the enneagram because it's not just how you're born. It's like your your family history, your personality that you've developed, your mm-hmm. you know your life experience, religious background, your life experiences yeah. have, have all kind Shaped. of accumulated to Mm -hmm. who you are now. Right. So it's, as we grow, we can grow into the best version of ourselves. If we have unhealthy seasons, it helps us to see it for me. It helps me to see that and to look at it honestly. And then to be like, okay, well, if I don't want to be here, then I need to put in some work to be somewhere else. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) Just, or, or at least acknowledge it, you know, right. Before you put in the words, like the language, the language of knowing that I think was so revelatory for me the, like putting the language that is that, like, I'm okay. An amazing point. You're right. Like yeah. giving it context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great communicator uh, of unspoken communication. Sure. And, and like bef- kind of for me before knowing it, not knowing that I need to, communicate differently, maybe to different people in my life or have grace in different ways or know that like, Oh, not everyone responds out of anger. And so I need to know, okay, they might be responding in a different way. And if I care about them and want them in my life, then I also could show up in some different ways. 
We're not bulldoze, everybody. You do such a, like, you're so eloquent and kind in your demeanor. Mm -hmm. But sometimes now that I know you're an eight, I'm like, what's going on below the surface? (laughs) I know. But you just carry yourself so well. So, yeah. I I think Enneagram is really a a tool for, like, self-understanding and mastery in that way. Yeah. I think self-awareness is like the most beautiful gift that you can give to the world. It's the truth. Right. Cause you know, like, like, so when I was first learning about, I was like, some people enter a room and they're just like a bull in a China shop and they just don't have any awareness, but it affects people around you. So I'm like, I also need to know how I affect the people around me when I'm in a space with other people. Um, and I think that we all do like, I need to understand, like, we all have a presence. We all need to like, you know, sometimes people need to like speak up and be vocal and like, we need more of them. We need more mm-hmm. of their opinion to not just like be quiet. And other people are like a bullhorn and you're like, okay, can you just like tone it down by like seven notches, <laughs> you know? So like how we interact in physical space with one another is like so important and beautiful how we offer ourselves to one another it's true. Yeah. I love dinner party project for that reason too. It's so fun to observe how people show up, mm-hmm. you know, with, with no ties, you're not family, you're not friends, you don't work together. Right. It's very, very fun to observe. So everyone's got their own beautiful story. We love telling it. Yeah. So we're, for- we're going to move on to our final topic. One more. Okay. I'll, mo- I'll let you go. All right. So my favorite one is actually the last one, which is rest. And so how do we kind of step back from the world and renew, rest, restore, play, discover, physically rest? How do we Sabbath? If we do, how do we kind of take some time? Because I found, fa- I found even so like, I mean, fours, I think are constantly create like in my whatever I'm not a four but like I just feel like there's so much creativity that's probably like blazing through their brains and that's maybe not as hard for them but for me I also feel the need to to be a away and to just like rest in the sense of like physically retreating And like, those are the times that I feel, I feel like you can't have creativity without rest, like mentally, Mm -hmm. like if you're stressed all the time, you're physically going all the time. If you're just at your peak of like, when is there time for like inspiration or where, you know, like there needs to be a time that you can just be to yourself or me, that has been the case. But for you, what are some practices that you've adopted and like, what are things that get you into a, into a mindset of rest, play discovery? all those things. Well, I, I didn't rest well until I, I just kind of ran into a wall. (laughs) Mm. Um, and I've done that multiple times of burning out, um, or this November had a health issue and I literally was forced to rest and you're right about the creativity. And then you mix that with being an achiever. So I feel like I always have to act on things Mm -hmm. and that resting, is it was something that I did not necessarily need that I could get my fuel from creating. Um, that's not true. And, uh, 
congratulations to anyone who can do that (laughs) forever. (laughs) Right. But as far as resting, I've learned a lot about what my real needs are Mm -hmm. since November. I had a health issue that, um, landed me in the hospital and I was forced to not work and not achieve. Mm -hmm. And since even a little before then, um, but since then I've really learned that I need time alone and solitude, solitude. Mm -hmm. And I need silence, silence, stillness. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And, um, taking time to literally do nothing and Mm -hmm. have nothing on the agenda, Mm -mm. expecting nothing of myself. Yeah. Sometimes it looks like me going out and putting my feet in my pool and, you know, making a a smoothie bowl and I like sit there and I'm like, wow, this is, this is it. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes that looks like me going into really like, deeper, more metaphysical experiences of like really like soul giving, Mm. um, experiences like ecstatic dance. I don't know if you've ever heard of it dance. It's really cool. Right. Um, I really, I, I like spiritual practices, so that's a big part of rest for me, Mm. but more and more lately it's silence, solitude. Mm. Um, how about history? As far as history goes, my daily, my daily (laughs) practice of rest is uh, ancestry and genealogy. I can consume and just zone out into, Mm -hmm. uh, into building family trees. And I have an appetite for it that I don't even know where it comes from, but I love it so much. Mm. I love I love kind of escaping into Mm. uh, ancestral stories or maybe putting things together and just seeing kind of like, whoa, what their, their impact on what the world is now. I kind of string things together and it's really done a lot of healing. Interesting. Um, So that is probably my daily rest practice is working on genealogy and, you know, If I feel like going to Scotland that day, I'll work on my mom's side of the family and really immerse myself. Yeah, I love it. That's cool. Super cool. If you had 24 hours to do whatever you wanted, it could be here, it could be anywhere in the world. Money is of no object. You could be with your family, by yourself. You could be friends, whatever, what would be like a 24 hour dream day for you? Ooh, that's a fun question. Mm-hmm. Let's see a 24 hour dream day for me would be a day out hiking with my family in the Carolinas coming back to a cabin, lighting a fire, cooking a meal together, playing games. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's what I would love Hell to do. Hell yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. With a whiskey uh, cocktail. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh. uh, I love yes. it. Yeah. I think it's so important um, 
to be regularly engaging like daily, weekly, seasonally, you know, like having like chunks of rest and like physically it's so insanely important. I feel like Americans don't connect or realize the health benefits of just resting and then mentally mental health and relationship wise, all the things, there's so much healing that can be done. Yeah. I mean, if we're not rested or if stress is our driver, if we're functioning Mm -hmm. out of stress, Mm -hmm. there's no way we can show up to the people we love in our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And my wife said to me, you know, one day all this money that you're making working so much, it's all going to go to the doctors eventually. Like, what are you working this hard for? And that's a way uh, when I had my heart condition in November, the doctors first thing they were like, you know, uh, how is your stress level? And I'm like, this is crazy. Why is everyone so worried about stress? And then I realized like we hold stress in our bodies physically. We do. Mm-hmm. And if we aren't, if we aren't finding releases and rest, um, we are not healing ourselves. Mm-hmm in any way so we can't show up for people um if if we aren't resting right so i'm like oh this is great to learn it they're (laughs) almost 35 like i will take it thank you better now than 40 years from now yeah 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 is there any mo or like mantra that you try to live your life by that you could share with us I probably is that I am enough. I am effective Mm. and I elevate those around me. Those around me. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I just carry that with me throughout every day of my life. Mm. If people were to find you on the social media world, uh, where could people find you and keep up to date with what's happening? Or so, find you as a hairstylist. Yeah. So social media is mostly Instagram. It's Taryn period Tucker period hair is my handle. Mm-hmm. And you can find me at Alchemy. I am, you can book online at alchemyorlando.com mm-hmm. or call over the phone. And I'm on TikTok here and there uh, with little videos, but I, it's not, I do what feels good mm-hmm. um, and I'm not overly attached to social media. So uh, my connection's definitely in person, mm-hmm. but that's where you can find me on social media. Yeah. Um, and yeah, keep a lookout because I have some really fun things coming up. I can't wait. This year. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be traveling a little bit and getting back into education. So. Okay. In a very different way. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yes. Thank you so much. This was time well spent. And thank you for sharing your stories and all the things. Thank you for your friendship. Yeah. Likewise. Of course. (laughs) All right. Until the next time. Oh, wow. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversation? 